Awesome. Welcome, everyone. I'm here with, uh, with my friend Billy Hennessy. We've known each other actually for over a decade. Uh, did some uh, nightlife uh, promotion stuff together. Back in the fist bumping days. Back in the fist bumping <laughs> uh, purple and proud days. But uh, Billy, maybe you can give sort of a Coles Nose version to everyone who's watching. Who, who's Billy? Yeah, so, so I grew up in the east coast of Canada, in Prince Edward Island, in, in a town of 30,000 people and uh, came from a bit, very middle-class family and went to Western uh, not knowing one person. So I've wow. had uh, a number of different business ventures. You know, when I was 12 years old, I had a lawn care business. Um, yeah. I had a, a bit of a promotion business while at university. We then created a brand called St. Party's Day and licensed it to Budweiser, who took it across Canada and then Carlsberg, who took it across North America. Um, had an online seafood business, uh, had a, a 30-day uh, waste removal business during the Toronto garbage strike. Hmm. But today, I uh, spend 75% of my time manufacturing industrial chemical solutions. I've bought three companies in the last five years, kind of four companies. And I spend 20 or 25% of my time building a company called the Entrepreneurship Society, which helps business owners, you know, like myself, like tech founders, scale their business and take them to the next level. Yeah. And that's actually how we reconnected not too long ago at one of your events. It was a sick event. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. So, so just to take it back to sort of the target audience here, someone who's sitting in, in your spot, let's say they're not full-blown entrepreneur from the time they were 12 running businesses, yeah. um, but climbed sort of that corporate ladder. What, if you were in their shoes, what would you be looking for or, or trying to sort of have an introspective on for them to actually be able to decide if that entrepreneurial path is for them? So, so I think there's, I, I categorize entrepreneurs in two very distinctly different buckets. One, there's the entrepreneur who goes and gets career experience, becomes an expert, you know, works for the man, builds relationships and yeah. proves him or herself in that industry. Yeah. Takes those relationships and goes and does it themselves, either on a smaller scale or in some cases on a larger scale and does it better. Yeah. And I think there's some pros with doing it that way, some pros that I'm actually lacking given I did it the exact opposite way. But I also think there's some major risks mm. with going about it that way, which you know we certainly can talk about later. The other type of entrepreneur, which is who I am, is you know, from day one, I came out of business school, $50,000 in debt. And I have figured out, and this is what I always say to the 20 and 25 year olds who want to go out on their own. The first thing you need to figure out is how to put food on the table for yourself. Mm. You, you need to, to know that, you know, hell or high water, you can sustain yourself regardless of what's going on in that business. And, and the question I often ask when people ask me the same question you just asked me was, what you need to ask yourself is, if business wasn't going well, mm. what do you need to have? Can you get rid of your private membership? Can you get rid of your penthouse condo? 
Can you get rid of the flashy vehicle? Can you get rid of the designer clothing? Is the most important thing you need in your life, can you even let go of your significant other, hmm. is the most important thing you need in your life for your business to be successful? And if there's any or even a lot of those things you're not willing to let go, hmm. maybe entrepreneurship the way I went about it isn't for that individual. Hmm. That's interesting. Definitely. So, I mean, owning your own future has its pros, but it's obviously you're taking all the risk as well. So what would you say would be the, the cons of the alternative then where you're kind of hedging your, your risk by learning on somebody else's dime? The cons are the golden spoon hmm. or call it the golden handcuffs, hmm. which, which we all have. You, you work your way up. Um, if, if it's an industrial you know, type company, maybe a cap out at six figures or $150,000. Mm-hmm. So maybe there's less of the golden handcuffs, but take banking as a great example. Uh, take legal as a, an example, or take you know agency world or marketing mm-hmm. world. You get up there and you're making silly money. You know, unless you're waiting till you're 50 or even 60, chances are you're not, you know, transferring relationships and paying yourself a base salary, you know, whatever it is, a quarter million dollars, half a million dollars Mm. from day one. Mm. And, you know, it's mentally demoralizing. Because you had that standard already. Yeah, even if if you have a significant nest egg, even if it's millions of dollars, Mm. and and you, you have to go that first 18 months where your, you know, personal income statement has negative cash flow, you're gonna be focusing more on that than focusing on the business. That's interesting. So ironically, if you actually weren't making significant money, you actually have a competitive advantage because you're hungry and you don't have the counterbalance with what have I done? There's really something to be said about eating what you kill. Mm. Now that said, I truly think there are some positives yeah. to going about it you know, the opposite way that I've went about it. I've never been involved with a company that I worked for that I saw grow from you know smaller stages to a large company mm. I didn't build relationships and credibility mm. and make mistakes mm. on mm. somebody else's dollar mm. yeah. when I make mistakes today it hurts more it hurts more also because I didn't work for the bank or, or you know a lot of people who are doing similar things to what I'm doing but leveraging other people's money acquiring companies with search funds yep. I didn't work private equity mm. so it isn't as natural for me to think about how to leverage other people's money to scale my business mm. it doesn't come as naturally mm. got that okay so for, for someone who's sitting on the fence today and is really trying to decide for themselves, golden handcuffs or not, and have some entrepreneurial tendencies, what would they need to do to validate for them if this is the right time or the right opportunity? What have you seen? I think it's a tough question, mm. uh, to be honest. I think, um, you know, pre-marriage, um, is ideal. 
uh, unless you're gonna wait until you know assuming you're gonna have kids after the kids come until you know it's average age of late 40s 50s yeah. because at this age we're doing it right now you know it's no big deal to work 60 80 hours i think um you know when you're accelerating in your career mm. I, I think you know when you get to your early 30s if you're really good at what you do and you have entrepreneurial blood people are tipping you off you know entrepreneurial companies are trying to recruit you as a junior partner your clients are saying hey you know if you ever went out on your own yeah. you know we're with you not with the big name brand i think i think there's subtle yeah. signs yeah totally get that but but i think you know it's a very scary life altering mm. decision mm. so part of me thinks the answer to your question is don't wait till tomorrow just embrace the fear and the unknown yeah and the other thing the other thing i'd add is is don't um you know don't get caught up in those um, golden handcuffs don't live that life you know don't mm. if, if if you know there's very few business owners who are really successful who at the end of the day are doing it for the flash. There's very few. A lot of them end up into the flash, but they didn't start that way. So the driver for it is a long-term play is what you're saying. Yeah, and, and, and it's, it, um, I'm not saying it can't be about the money. It's always about the money, but the money to fuel the growth to have more of the business. Got that. As opposed to having the materialistic things. Got that. Got that. That's that's actually good insight because you know there's similarities with a lot of the other people that we ask those questions to on you know the fear is always there, you know there's that emotional trigger, but how how you handle that and why you're doing it is really the underlying decisions that seems to be the consistent pattern for everybody yeah I, I mean and there's nothing wrong with wanting materialistic things but i think a true test is you know when you are in business for yourself or or, or when you've got a strong corporate job and you have some free cash flow yeah what's getting you excited at night mm. is, is is it is it the flashy porsche mm. or, or or is it buying the truck to do more business mm. or hiring the CTO or, or, or the chief marketing officer mm. to take your business to the next level. And if it is the Porsche, what does that mean? It likely means your growth may be inhibited. Mm. Mm. There comes a point when your cash, you have so much free cash flow that how much money you sent, spend on those personal things, you know, doesn't impact it's the business. Yeah, uh, nearly at the same rate that it does in the early stages. Mm. Mm. But if but if you look at, with the exception of tech, because tech, you know, the money is coming from venture, and typically the founders, typically not always, typically the founders have very little actual cash invested in it. Mm. But if you look at the bricks and mortar type companies, all of the guys who are filthy, stinking rich, you know, tell the stories of mortgaging their house, 
you know, sleeping on friends' couches. Yeah. You know, basically beg, pleading, and stealing to, you know, have the cash flow to make payroll to get to the next level. Yep. Those are the- and, 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 you know, it's funny because generally speaking, I'm a frugal guy. But after we acquired our second company, uh, I had a bit of FOMO kick in and said, <laughs> you know, I haven't seen the world. I haven't traveled. I'm not living in a nice place. I don't drive a flashy vehicle, etc. And I started for about two years spending stupid money, or what I consider stupid money, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars on things I've come back and realized I just don't need. Hmm. I don't need to go to Europe for a month every year. I don't need to drive a hundred thousand dollar vehicle. Hmm. I, I don't need, you know, to live in a million dollar townhouse. And, and, and not only have I learned that I don't need those things, but what I've learned is, is they're all true distractions hmm. keeping me from being happy from the success where I really need success in life. Hmm. And that's deep because I think a lot of people, the flash kind of blinds them to the underlying thing that's going to keep them going for, to win the marathon because that's what it is. It's, yeah. a, it's a marathon mentality. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and you know, I, I own and operate two distinct businesses. The Entrepreneurship Society, all of our functions, where I last ran into you, they're in the financial district. They're yeah. at flashy law firms, flashy accounting firms, Shopify's office, Twitter's office, etc. But nine to five, I'm out dealing with blue collar industrial type workers. Mm. And I had what was probably a $200,000, very sexy contract in the chemical side fall on my lap. And I made the mistake of showing up to see the customer in a white Range Rover. And, and I'm convinced to this day that 60% of the reason why we didn't end up uh, closing the deal. Wow. Yeah. I, I now drive to, to work a Ford Edge. It's got a crack in the, in the bumper and a crack in the windshield. And I've had, um, you know, I, I hope Minister Transport doesn't hear this, but I've had 48 pails you know, worth twenty three hundred dollars, um, weighing whatever, however many thousand of pounds in the back of it to deliver it to a customer. Take that for all the Ford haters. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that. So, what would you say? I, I, I have a lot of respect for people that can build real businesses because I think a lot of times entrepreneurialism is or entrepreneurship has become sort of a buzzword and it gets clouded on the fundamentals. You know, people have this lottery mentality that I'm going to build the next unicorn. And, you know, for, for, at least for me, entrepreneurship means being able to run a real business, which means cash flow, which means being able to make money at the end of the day. So what would you say is your biggest um, sort of learning slash experience, maybe from a hard knocks in building a traditional business? We've learned a lot. That also means we failed a lot. <laughs> we failed a lot. We failed more than I care to admit. We're um, still here. We're still here and, um, and we're growing. Um, two big learnings, relationships, yeah. relationships, 
relationships. But the second one is there's some industries, and I'm in one of them, where there just isn't as much room for innovation and creativity. Hmm. Doesn't mean there's no room, Mm. but there isn't as much. You don't necessarily make money through outsmarting the competition. Hmm. Through creating more more value by outsmarting the competition or? Through necessarily um, making decisions Mm. that are going to lead to exponential growth. Mm. You beat the competition Mm. by working hard, Mm. working harder than the competition, Mm. hiring the right people, Mm. looking after them, Mm. motivating those people, and doing the little things right. We spent our first three years trying to come up with new products, green formulas, reinventing this, reinventing that, discontinuing that product. And what we've learned is just do the little things. Mm. If someone's in a jam, get them their product at seven o'clock on a Tuesday night. Mm. Respond to the email Mm. on a Saturday. Save them a little bit of money. Add them value in in other ways. Mm. Which comes back to your first point of relationships. Yeah. Just do the little things. Mm. Do the little things. That's interesting, yeah. And I think that applies to any business. Even if you have hyper growth or innovation or disruption, I think to sustain that, it still has to come down to the fundamentals, which is you're dealing with people. Yeah. I mean, I mean, at the end of the day, everyone's got a million ideas. Mm. It is all about execution. 100%. All about execution. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I, I used to um, spend Saturday afternoons before I bought into the chemical company. I knew I wanted to. My, my, my theory was I didn't want to go where anyone smart like yourself was. So I wasn't going into tech. I wasn't going into It's coming finance. from the guy that finished Ivy. I, 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 <laughs> I, I, I wasn't going near Bay Street. Yeah, yeah. I was going into a bricks and mortar company that had succession issues mm. that hopefully no one from our generation wanted to be in. Hmm. And, and so um, we did the first deal and um, how did you get financing on a, on a deal like that straight out of school so the other ventures I had had from school got it um, ah, that's we, right we, we, we had made a you know living frugal um, had paid down my student debt had half a million dollars in the bank, bought the first one, the bank came in for half of it, and then we just kept levering up based on cash flow to buy more. Got it, got it, got it. So lesson there, really it's not how much money you make, it's how much the net cash flow is making. Yeah, it's, it's, it's all about you know the balance sheet um, and having cash to do things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Absolutely. I was having this conversation actually with my accountant who is a serial entrepreneur himself, had the similar 
uh, trigger where he started, you know, in the corporate world like me, but realized he wasn't going to be happy. And he actually owns an accounting firm here down downtown, but also heavily into real estate. And for him, it's never even about where to find the money. It's does the the investment make sense? Because there'll there'll always be a way to just leverage more money yeah. to make more money to yeah. make more money. But when you have that mindset and you remove the emotion out of it, then it just becomes. Yeah, and, and, and you know, good on him because it's not always easy uh, to remove the emotion. Mm -hmm. No, that's I think the biggest challenge. Mindset's ninety percent of it. Yeah, if we were computers, we'd be we'd be done. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah, but that's the game, right? Once you realize it's uh, it's all in your head, you know, there's going to be ups and downs. It's how you react to it, and when you finally internalize it, then it becomes a game because yeah. You're not going to die. Yeah, and, and, the, and the other thing too is, um, and I guess this kind of ties into relationships, but it gets easier. Mm. Uh, I, you know, a debate I often have is you know, seeing the private equity guys. Are you better off getting into one industry and, and you know, essentially doing it for life or you know, diversifying and being in multiple industries? Mm. And I'm a little bit contradictory, you know, having owning, owning two different companies. Yeah. But, but I sincerely believe if you can get in and out of the same industry, you know, maybe you sell off parts, maybe you exit and come back in when your non-competes up or you go work with someone else. But I sincerely believe, you know, the, the way to create the most value uh, for me, you know, you know, stimulate the most change and employ the most people is through staying in one industry mm. and just hitting doubles year over year over mm. year and just learning it, figuring out what works, what mm. doesn't, and mm. gaining the customer's trust. Mm. Longevity is credibility. Yeah. Yeah. Be around for the long haul. Mm. No, that resonates for sure. So help me walk this back. So you went to school in Ivy. Most people that go to business school are doing that to go into a fast track career in business and yeah. in some big corporation. At what point did you decide to pivot and say, you know, I'm not going to follow the stereotypical path here? Yeah, I mean, I didn't know what the heck I was doing. Um, <laughs> there was uh, no plan. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I went to Western. I thought I was going to be a doctor. I quickly realized I really didn't jive with, with the science type people in, in first year. Yeah. I was having too much fun, you know, with the other guys in my uh, floor in my residence. I wasn't going to class, just having a good time. And um, I, I remember, oh, um, I got into Ivy for no other reason than on, on the first day of school, my, my soft said to me, oh, you seem like a smart guy. You've got a personality. You must be go going to Ivy. And I said, no, I'm going to be a doctor. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and so, well, I guess, you know, if he says that smart kids go to Ivy, if I can get in, I might as well go to Ivy. And you applied. So I applied. Um, I get into Ivy. And, um, you know, I just wasn't cut with the McKinsey cloth or the banking cloth. But I said, you know, I, yeah, I'll get a consulting job. So I went and I worked at one of the smaller consulting shops that first year, um, between third and fourth year, first and second year Ivy. And whatever, I, made, I think they paid me a thousand bucks a week or something. But at that time, I launched the Western Reunion Party, mm. an, an event um, which went on for four or five years. And I made something like $5,000 mm. off 
of um, the event. Mm. And every day when I was sitting at my desk uh, during that summer internship, I kept thinking about my own gigs. Uh, it, it just, I was really the worst employee ever. <laughs> I just realized I wasn't cut out to work for someone else. So then, you know, at some point, my dad kept saying, oh, go get one of those sales jobs. Go make a hundred grand doing sales. I just looked myself in the mirror and I said, you know what? Like, I'm a shitty employee. Um, I love building things. You know, I've been yeah. building things my whole life. So yeah. let's figure out what I'm going to do. Self-awareness is key for sure. Yeah, I, I can totally resonate with that because, um, I mean, even when I had started in my career, because that was the best advice I was given. I had immigrant parents, so I had two options, engineer or doctor, or dead. Yeah. Um, so we took engineering because it was only four years. Hey, uh, go be an engineer, go be a lawyer. <laughs> my, it's funny enough, I have a twin sister, she's a doctor. <laughs> there you Hopefully go. she sees this. <laughs> <laughs> so that path, you know, working what I thought was the, the fast track path, and you know, I was grateful I had a lot of experience and a lot of knowledge, but you know, I was doing, still doing the promotion stuff years in, you know, and it was like in one weekend you make, you know, even as four or five years into school, if you, in one weekend you make four or $5,000 cash, cash money, cash money, right? Like you're sitting there and you're like, mm, you know, that's, that's like three weeks after tax. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you're sitting there and you're like eh. you know it, 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 it demotivates you and, and maybe in some ways it motivates you because there isn't the golden handcuffs that is uh, demotivating you on the flip side right it's all about balance now that the way you put it actually kind of flipped it on me and I'm like maybe that was like a godsend but yeah there was this demotivation that I was working hard on what I was supposed to do based on my schooling based on what society wants but I'm not I'm not fully alive in here I mean, the nightlife thing died um, because I wasn't fully alive being with, you know, 20 year olds when I was almost 30 in a club on Sunday night when I had meetings on Monday morning. Yeah. Like that kind of got old, too. But um, there was definitely this drive, like, I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm in control. And, you know, if we if we fail, we can pivot and double down and try it again. But I have no one to blame by myself. Yeah. And you're right. It's scary. But I actually it was actually more exciting than anything else. Always. And, and that's always been sort of my drive. Like when you're talking about, you know, starting young, like I remember <laughs> my first job delivering the penny saver. And then I was like, you know what? They're paying me nothing, but I can get other kids to do this and I could subcontract them. <laughs> <laughs> and pennies on pennies can still be dollars. And like literally, like the way I was thinking, I, I laugh at it now, but back then I was just like, oh man, I could do the whole neighborhood. I can't yeah. do it myself. Like, yeah. Hey guys, they're going to pay me like two cents. I'll pay you one cent, but yeah. I have the contact. You don't have to do any paperwork. Yeah. <laughs> There's value there. You know, and, and that thought process was always there. Like, how can I figure out a system or structure to scale this? And um, I think that's something that's now that as you're talking is resonating with me. And I think for people, for, if they want to do self-reflection, whether they took action or not, they probably want to reflect on why they didn't take action if they didn't. But I think if you have entrepreneurial tendencies, at some point you've, you've had those drives. Sure. Yeah. And I don't think it's something that is so much taught as it is just intrinsically part of your personality. You either want it or you don't like it's for me it's very binary i don't know how you feel about that like if, if yeah. that's tr truth for you or not yeah i think um you know the, the whole is entrepreneurship 
you know, hereditary or, or genetic um, or can it be taught? I think um, the basic you know, principles of entrepreneurship can certainly be taught. Um, you know, I, but to some extent, I think we are who we are. Mm. We are who we are. Mm. Uh, and no, there's no exception out there. Um, you know, nobody has built anything fantastic without hard work. Even if you come from mountains and mountains and mountains of money, mm. they may have made money, but they haven't built something that stood the test of time kind of thing legacy yeah you know it's it's um it's funny though that you bring up events because events in some extent um haunt me really yeah yeah so so they were really good to me financially oh you're preaching Uh, the choir yeah and i um I came out of whatever. I was 25 years old. I had $50,000 in debt when I came out of university. And when I was 25 or 26, I had $500,000 sitting in my bank account, free and clear, 90% of it from the event space. So really good to me. But one, I got burnt on some big shows. You know, lost in the range of forty thousand dollars on a show that was actually sold out and got canceled before it started. And you know, to me, that boom and bust mm. wasn't a valid business model. But two, what I really struggled with all through the events process was I was insecure and and felt. I wasn't putting that Ivy degree Mm. to use. It Mm. was below where I should have been. Mm. So is that societal or is that your own hangups or was that like close friends that were saying that? Like where where was that? I I mean, I think it was primarily just my own perception. Mm. Uh, And funny enough, um, I'm trying to remember who pointed this out and I don't even know the man's name, but someone pointed out to me the richest man in the world actually is in the conference business. Um, I don't know if there's any validity to that, but someone has pointed that out to me. But but where I'm going with all of this is, um, so I come up with this theory uh, that there's succession planning issues in Canada and, and bought these chemical companies and we're doing a good job running them. And I think, you know, we've made them more profitable and we're adding value and I think the future is very bright. But having seen the Entrepreneurship Society kind of evolve over the last five years. Mm. Has it been five years? Yeah. Um, And that's a whole other story. It's really been a year, but we started um, five years ago. If you want to get into that, we can. I'll give you the backstory on that. But I just have a natural um, strength at putting on events. Mm-hmm. And there's people, all my peers and, 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 and uh, stakeholders are saying this to me. You have a unique ability to connect people and come up with unique business models for events and leverage this person to build that, etc. And it, one thing I ask myself is, hmm, um, 
that whole insecurity that I had around the events world, um, you know, should I have just stuck to events? Mm. You know, yeah. the reality of it is, whatever I do, as long as I do one or two things, I will fully figure out the sanitation business by the time I'm 50. Okay, I'm 33, I've got a ton of time. Yeah. But I ask myself, you know, should I be thinking more about that events business? Mm. We've been doing it, at least I've been doing it on a smaller scale since I was 19. Yeah, yeah. I remember how we started, went in there, Barking Frog. Yeah. Walked in there, we were just super excited, young, and I remember... Uh, uh, we you know, turned that place around, we, man. We, we should have got shares. We, we should have got, got shares in that place, made the real You money. hear that, Cam? We should have had shares. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I remember... And, then our, and they kept decreasing our rates once they realized they could get any promoter in there and fill the place. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, until we went to the next shiny, shiny place. But... Yeah. Uh, but I remember walking in there and, and that was the conversation. I remember sitting with, we were just young, excited. We're like, hey, we're going to be partying like all through university, right? Like, oh yeah, for sure. We're going to be, and I see these kids sitting, just popping bottles, like in the, and in my head, I'm like, the only two possibilities are they're doing something illegal or daddy's money. Because in my world, there was no other possibility. I didn't know what promotion. Yeah. So I like walked into this booth. I'm like, won't say who they were, but I'm like, hey, I'm Sam, how are you? Like just naively walking to their booth they're like yeah who's this guy after five minutes we're chatting they're like yeah this is our party I'm like what do you mean this is your party he's like yeah that's our DJ these are our friends all this liquor's free like just bragging and I'm sitting there I'm like what yeah, yeah. I'm like how does this work <laughs> there's a business model uh, I, I, I spent $300 last night uh, um, you know plus 100 bucks in food and I got kicked out of my booth. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I was 19. We, we spent $20 in pre-drink before. But like, literally, yeah. <laughs> we're in this. I'm sitting here and I'm, I'm like, after five minutes, I come back and I'm like, hey, um, there, I found out there's, we can either get paid to party or we can pay to party. And I'm like, what do you guys think? Like, naive question. They're like, oh, for sure. And then Nico was like, hey, you know, I have this company called Tonight.com from Columbia. They're expanding into North. We can buy the Canadian. Like, instantly, there was like a business plan on a napkin within like five minutes. And like, I'm sitting, I'm like, that, this is cool because I'm pretty sure we can do it better than those guys because they're literally partying and I'm seeing it as a business. I'm like, I don't even care if no one knows who I am. All I want to know is like, do we have a cash flow? Do we have a strategy yes, to money. execute yes, on? Money. Like, I was the guy counting money in the back. They're like, whose parties? Doesn't matter. Just count the money. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, but I, I totally hear what you're saying on the, the ups and downs. But tell me, you know, you lost 40000 but how is that different than you losing the 200000 deal? Like, there's ups and downs in any business, isn't there? Like, how did one impact you more than the other? Um, I guess I just wanted something more stable mm -hmm. as opposed to something, um, something. And I don't mean stable, a guaranteed paycheck, but, but something... You know, that, that special event business, doing three or four of them a year mm. and having um, so many eggs in those baskets, uh, that was scary. You know, sure, we'll hire someone and not only do we not get an ROI, we lose money. We'll buy a machine and it doesn't turn out or anything else. But you still have the whole business, which is pumping stable cash flow, ideally 12 months of the year. Got it. And... and you know microburst versus two or three or four yeah yeah but but um going back to you know my, my thoughts and, and how people should be thinking about entrepreneurship etc so 
I'm, I'm sitting at an Entrepreneurship Society event on M&A about three months ago. And there's a very successful VC there named VC slash private equity investor named Gershon. And he's very rare in that uh, he, he worked for a significant metal business mm. and the owner of that funded him to go out and, and both start a VC and, and a private equity shop in one. So he's investing on the PE side in stable cash flow mm. chemical type businesses like mine, mm. but he's also got VC money to play the venture game, you know, try, trying to hit the home run, mm. pre-revenue, 100 million valuation mm. type world. And, you know, he made a comment where he said, I'm not really into that venture tech business where you strike out 95% of the time, you break even on four and hit a home run on one. He said, but what I'm really interested in in Toronto are service companies. Hmm. For that high risk, high reward tech sector. Interesting. And, and to me, I thought to myself, so am I. <laughs> but I never really conceptualized it mm. and put it in words mm. the same way he did. To me, that was so simple, but but um, game changing at the same time mm. to communicate it that way. Because the Entrepreneurship Society attracts the top tech founders in the country. You know, you name it, they've come through our programming. Virage Sale, Shopify, Wealthsimple, um, whoever else. Okay? You know, the guys that are doing the B rounds, the 50, 60 million dollar rounds. And so for a while, just, just to, you know, ha have that reality check, I went out and I started surveying my peers who are in tech. And some of the really good ones, you know, who have raised 40 and $50 million. And my question was, statistically speaking, statistically speaking, if I spend the rest of my life in the chemical industry, or I try to be a startup guy, where am I going to, you know, both create more wealth and create a bigger company? Mm. Every single one of them with no exception, said statistically speaking, and there are exceptions, some of them are exceptions, yep. statistically speaking, you're gonna build something far more superior, create more shareholder value in the non-sexy traditional chemical business. Yep, yep. It's stable, it, it's market fundamentals. Like it, it blows my mind when people are so excited that they raised around and they still in their pre-revenue. I mean, I get why the economy is going in, or because people are trying to win the lottery by investing in them, but it blows my mind when they get excited about that because it's like, you haven't actually proved anything. You've just given away a part of your company and you haven't made any money. Yeah, and, 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 and it's hard from an entrepreneur standpoint not to have a little bit of FOMO and when you're seeing whoever yeah. on, on the front page of Forbes having just closed a B round of 30, 40, 50, even $70 million today. Yeah, yeah. But at some point you gotta come back to business principles and yeah. say, you know, 
what's it really uh, about? It's boom and bust. Hey, you, you've, you did, you've got that raise. You go and you hire 200 people. Yeah. And, and chances are you might be laying them all off yeah. and starting something else yeah. in two years. Yeah. Anyway, really interesting point to me. I'm not really into the venture game, but I'm into tech services who support those venture companies. Interesting. To me, that was really cool. Interesting. Fantastic. Yeah, because point. no matter whether it's 1% or 2% that succeed, 100% are going to need the services. Yeah. And, 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 and when these tech companies have such significant injections, yep. they have so much money, they, they have to spend so quickly. Their, their VCs, their investors, are spend, 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 spend. And so, so they drive market rate of everything up. Engineers, office rent, decor, all the sex appeal that, that that's in yeah. that office. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and you know, by default, you would think the tech services that that um, you know, modest under the radar Gersh Gershon is offering to those tech companies. Yeah. Yeah. I get that. Cool. This was actually really um, insightful, Billy. We went in a totally different direction, but I, I actually really uh, found it intriguing. I hope a lot of people are going to find uh, this thought-provoking. To sort of summarize and just bring it back to make sure that we're giving them bang for their buck if, for the target demographic that's watching this. Yeah. If, if someone was sitting in that seat today, maybe newly out of school or more likely based on who's watching this a few years into their career, their profession, they've spent you know, significant time, energy, accolades, you know, social capital into building their identity into something, but they're not happy. They're not fundamentally, statistically majority are disengaged. Mm -hmm. And they're sitting in that location and, and they're listening to you know, these stories of all these different types of entrepreneurs and how they started. What would be one piece of advice you could give them to help give them sort of the nugget of what, what, is the, what should they ask themselves, what action should they take next to be able to sort of open that possibility for themselves of what's, what's next for them? One, figure out how to put food on the table for yourself without the man. And, and two, it's not about the idea. Mm. It's about execution. Mm. So tying into that, if you don't have an idea, just start making money off what you're passionate about. That's and, awesome. And I'm not saying that has to be your business. You don't have to be in a business you're passionate about. You can be passionate about building something. Yeah. But if you don't have an idea, yeah. start there. Figure out a way to monetize it. Logical. Love it. Awesome, Billy. It was really cool. appreciate it. I'm glad we did this. Yeah, man. Me too. And, um, you know, to everyone out there, we, we, we need more business owners in, in the uh, bricks and mortar traditional business space. So, you know, hopefully you'll join us at Quattro Royal Pack. <laughs> <laughs> Love it.